welcome to AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. A few weeks ago, the Jesuit Dan Carew went to Mass like any other Sunday. But the setting was far from ordinary. The Mass was being held at the Church of St. Vincent de Paul in Beirut, Lebanon, which was bombed out during Lebanon's civil war about 40 years ago. Father Dan was so struck by the image of a community praying together in the largely destroyed church that he snapped a picture and posted it to Facebook, where it spread quickly. In the photo, the church is full, with a bishop presiding and a number of priests concelebrating. A choir of young people fills the corner of the sanctuary. The walls and ceiling of the church are blackened, the roof is pretty much gone, and twisted steel bars poke out of damaged concrete. Chunks of tile are missing from the walls. The church was never repaired and has largely been unused for decades, but recently it has served as the setting for special prayers for peace and justice amid national unrest in Lebanon. This mass Father Dan photographed was happening as peaceful protests for government reforms filled the streets just beyond the church walls. The picture is such a striking image of where the Jesuits are called to be, on the margins of society, preaching the gospel, and promoting social justice. Father Dan and I talked about how his vocation has taken him from New York to this ministry in Beirut, where he works with Jesuit refugee services and with the community of Jesuits in studies. Thanks for joining us. Well, Father Dan Carew, thank you so much for joining AMGG all the way from Beirut, Lebanon. How are you doing today? Delighted to be here. Thank you, Mike. Great to be with you. So I invited you uh, to join us on the show uh, after I had seen a photo you posted on social media of mass being celebrated at uh, St. Vincent de Paul Church right. uh, in Beirut, Lebanon, where you're based, which it was a church that was largely destroyed uh, during the, the Lebanese Civil War uh, a few decades ago. And you can see the, the evidence in this photo of... Um, the kind of just largely destroyed, bombed out church behind the altar and, and people gathered there and uh, this mass going on. So first, I wanted to talk to you about that photo. We'll make sure that we we share it uh, in, in the show description notes here for this episode. But just how did that photo come about and and what were you doing there? And just yeah, tell, set the scene for how that, that picture was taken. Right. So uh, I've returned to Beirut. I was, I was here for three years, uh, 2011 to 2014. Uh, and then was back in the U.S. for the last five years, and then was just recently uh, missioned to come back to to the, the Jesuit province of the Middle East. Uh, and and it just sort of happened that within the first uh, few weeks of my arriving here, um, this uh, revolution Thawra uh, in in Lebanon has sort of uh, broken out, and. Uh, and so there is this huge, I mean, the, the initial numbers they were talking about when this was all starting from October 17th um, and, uh, and for the really two weeks after that. I mean, they were talking about nationwide, about a million people. And Lebanon is a country of four million Lebanese with an additional one million Syrian refugees at the moment. Uh, and so that a million people would be coming out into the streets throughout the country was a, a major thing. And so this was a, a, a major event uh, in Lebanese politics and society. Uh, and so the, the photo that you're talking about was the second week, the second Sunday of the, the mass protests. The, the previous Sunday, we had done the same thing. Uh, the, the Jesuit community here, which uh, the Jesuit community, we have two Jesuit, three Jesuit communities in Beirut. Uh, I'm in one of those communities 
with the scholastics. So the, the Jesuits who are still studying philosophy, so they're not priests yet. Uh, and many of them have been very involved in the, in the protest movements uh, and the conversations around the, the future of the, what the Lebanese state will look like. Um, and they, in addition to some Jesuit professors at the university, had opened a tent where they were helping to facilitate conversations around how to, how to make dreams reality, how to look at a, a post-sectarian uh, you know, a, a state where there would be real checks and balances, where there would be real open dialogue. Um, and so they, were, they had a tent that they had been, they'd set up there. And as part of that, they also said, well, we should also have mass here. We should, we should celebrate um, the sacraments here. Uh, and so that conversation happened on a Sunday morning. And it, that church that is in the photo is a, a church that was destroyed in 1975, 1976, in the early part of the Lebanese Civil War. And there are other churches around it that have been restored uh, and are in very good shape. The cathedral, the Maronite Cathedral, is is about 100 feet from that, that church, and it has been beautifully restored. Um, that church, for whatever reason, has not been restored. So it has just remained as a sort of empty, bombed-out shell. Um, it, it also happens to be right in the middle of the protests. They were, when we were having mass there, you could hear the, the, the music, you could hear the, the, the chants, you could hear everything. We were right in the middle of it. Uh, and it just felt a more appropriate place to have the, the mass um, in order to welcome people in uh, directly from the protests who wanted to come and join. Uh, and the, the participants, the, the sort of core group, the, the congregation, was made up of the CLC or CVX, the Christian life communities, the small Jesuit base communities, um, uh, mostly young adults that are very active here in Lebanon. And it's a very popular thing in Jesuit universities in the U.S. and, and a lot of Jesuit organizations throughout Europe. Um, and so it's very active here. And they were the main congregants that sort of brought it all together. And so that mass has a lot of CLC folks in the congregation. And then the, the priests, um, I was in the congregation. I decided not to come celebrate. Um, the, the priests are about half Jesuits and then half other. We had some Franciscans uh, and Lazarus priests. And the celebrant in that photo, which was, the, again, the second week of the masses uh, in that church, was the Latin Rite Bishop for Beirut, uh, a Franciscan uh, guy, Cesar, really extraordinary, who gave a beautiful homily that day. Uh, so, yeah, that's the that's the the photo there. It's a really striking image. There's some of the uh, the architecture that has been, you know, that remained uh, over the altar is a, a beam that has the text Gloria in Excelsis yeah. Deo yeah. printed yeah. across the top. Right. You know, this kind of full congregation it had a, a choir to the side uh, in, in the sanctuary that looks like mostly made up of young people. Yeah. Uh, again, jam packed. What was what was going through your mind and heart in the middle of this as you're describing outside? You're hearing the, the protests going on. You have the, this this church which represented um, again a, a violent history. Yeah. Um, what was going through your again your mind and heart in the middle of that church? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the reason that I even took the picture was this is exactly where we need to be. I mean, this this is the church. I mean, this is this is where uh, Pope Francis talks about. You know, we are a field hospital. We you know we cannot be this pure, clean remote uh, thing that up on a shelf, um, we, we've got to be right in the heart of it, right in the very middle of it. And if, um, 
if we're going to mass and we really believe that the body of Christ is there among us and we don't hear shouts for justice and, and, a, and a, you know, the primordial scream for, uh, for what is good and, and, and holy and life-giving and peaceful in, in our world, then we're doing something wrong. Uh, so that it just felt exactly where we needed to be. So you mentioned you've returned to Lebanon now just recently mm-hmm. after having been there three years in Regency. Yes. It's a fascinating country uh, yes. for people who might not be as familiar with it. What So what is the, the situation there now? I know it is in terms of a Middle Eastern country. You have large Christian and uh, Muslim communities kind of right there right. Uh, together. Right. Uh, so just yeah, tell us a little bit uh, about what's going on in the country right now. Sure. Uh, at the moment, uh, just in the last really three weeks since October 17th, um, there have been more existential questions raised around the, the nature of Lebanon. So after the Lebanese Civil War, uh, which ended in 1990, there was a general, the, the Taif agreement, the, a, a general agreement that um, there would be a, in order to protect minorities, there would be a general understanding of power sharing. Uh, the president would always be a Maronite, Catholic Christian, uh, that the prime minister would always be a Sunni Muslim, and that the speaker of the parliament would always be a Shiite uh, Muslim, and then head of the army would be delegated one way, and uh, so it all all of the main positions had, and and so there was this it was a sectarian system, uh, because in in Lebanon you have uh, these I always refer to Lebanon as as a land of misfit toys. Uh, it's a place where you have lots of, of small minority groups. You have uh, the Shia, the Sunni, and the, and the Maronite Christians are the largest. Uh, but then there are lots of other where there are 18 different religious sects that are recognized by the, by the Lebanese government. Uh, and there is a sense in which that, that pluralism really does work. Um, doesn't work always well, and and what we're seeing in the protests right now is a desire for it to work better, I think, or for something to work better. Uh, so that's something that that is a, a very live question at the moment. That that structure, um, while its an original intention was to protect minorities, uh, has become sort of ossified. Has 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 just become a a fixed thing that has allowed for corruption and incompetence, uh, and um, and it, it, it's um, it, it it's bearing too much weight. I think at the moment, uh, it's not holding the weight well. Um, so what we saw over the last really the last several years is just a deterioration in the quality of government uh, and quality of leadership, quality of governance, uh, and it just became. As we're seeing so much, we see it in the U.S., we see it in larger uh, global things of just stark divisions, um, people doubling down for all the wrong reasons on identity politics uh, and refusing to give in and then not allowing themselves to be held accountable. Uh, And just, you know, it is always blaming them, uh, whoever they happen to be. Uh, And so we saw this, this, these significant divisions that really just ended up freezing the Lebanese government uh, for the last several years and allowing for rampant corruption. And so you have, um, in, in a relatively wealthy, uh, you know, 
sort of not a wealthy, but a relatively well-off country where you we could it could be doing well. Uh, you see the highest rate of uh, it was, I think it was the second highest rate of of uh, uh, of loans, uh, you know, of international loans. You know, the high debt. Uh, to, to GDP ratios, you just like things that are just not, not economically healthy, not healthy in terms of the civil society. Um, and so just things that are not working well. And so that was evidenced in a lot of ways, rising fuel costs. There was a, there were, um, there were significant forest fires, uh, Meldos, we can point to uh, global climate change, but we can all, the way that the state dealt with them, uh, they'd, you know, few years ago, they had bought these helicopters that were supposed to be able to put out fires in the, in the forest fires, and they just hadn't been maintained, and the corruption and the money that had been had gone to their maintenance had all of a sudden gone into someone's pocket. And so you had all this, there were a, a wide variety of things that kept coming up uh, over the summer that built this frustration uh, until on, on October 16th or 17th, the government announced a series of taxes, um, all of which would really be directed at the, the normal, everyday, average person. And everyone's looking around and saying, well, what about the person with this, you know, that just built this enormous hotel? And we see lots of money uh, in the city, uh, but the wealthy aren't being taxed. It's just the normal workaday, average folks uh, that are being taxed on the normal stuff that, you know, basic telephone calls. Um, and so, and there was just this frustration, uh, it started on October 17th as a, as a really sort of violent anarchist kind of movement that, that night in particular, I remember, and actually the next day it was a little daunting. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a much nastier feel at the beginning. The first night, um, had a very violent sort of tone to it. Uh, and then that was a Thursday night. And then by Friday, Friday afternoon, and then certainly in that first weekend, so the October 19th and 20th, it became a very family-oriented event. And literally a million people came out uh, and just blocked every major road in Lebanon and then had a dance party, basically, and said, we want a different government. We want a government that is more responsive to the people's needs, um, treats uh, average people and citizens uh, fairly, uh, and takes takes rights seriously. Uh, and so that's really what's been going on for two weeks solid. They just, people blocked roads. And so nothing happened. It was basically a, a general strike. Um, in the last week or so, that's been modified a little bit. Some people pushing back. There's a little un, unclarity or lack of clarity around what the actual demands are. The prime minister stepped down and that took some of the some of the fury out of the protesters, but then there are still people who are pushing for more and, and don't want to backslide into back into the status quo. So at the moment, we're, there's a little bit of unease. There, like on Monday, we had several roads, major roads blocked. Um, but today, pretty much everything was up and going as normal. So we're in this sort of in-between time at the moment. No one's really quite sure what's happening. How has it been for you arriving in the country kind of in the middle of that? What what are you feeling? Um, what are you thinking about? Is, uh, do you feel, uh, is it a stressful situation? It, just tell me about uh, how it's been for you mm. arriving there. I, you know, I, I had three wonderful years here and uh, I, I'm delighted to be back. And so I, I knew 
this this is on one level very new uh, this particular situation in Lebanon um, but on one level this is uh, part of the situation in the Middle East it's part of the situation in a lot of countries around the world um, uh, and so there's something I, I have to admit I, I find it on one level it's, it's daunting it, it, there are some major issues that need to be addressed um, it can feel a little overwhelming uh, but there's something really exciting about this. There's a sense of people really taking their uh, their governance, their civil society seriously, uh, of wanting of wanting to build a country that lives up to its highest ideals, of really wanting to do something tangible about that. Um, and so there's something really beautiful and exciting about seeing that. Uh, I uh, part of my work uh, I work with the Jesuit Refugee Services, and so I'm. I'm a little cautious at the moment, uh, the Syrian refugees, and again, Lebanon's a country of 4 million people, 4 million Lebanese. There are a million Syrian refugees in addition to that, uh, who are now living here since 2012, 2013. Uh, they have, our, our sense of it is that they have generally uh, remained very removed from all this and allowed the Lebanese to figure out their own stuff. As the, as the excitement of the protests early on wears off and we are starting to see some divisions in Lebanese society around what the point of the protests are going to be, um, that does affect the situation of the Syrian refugees here and the relationship between Lebanon and Syria. So we're starting to see some tensions around that and I'm a little worried about that, but um, at the moment, what I will say is, again, certainly in the environment where I've found myself most of the time, which is around university students, uh, around Jesuits, um, in the middle of these protests, uh, going and visiting, walking around, there's something really exciting uh, and really, really beautiful about it all. Tell me a bit about what specifically uh, you're doing and the Jesuits who you're with in community, what are the, the range of things uh, that the society is, is involved with uh, in Beirut in particular? Right. So uh, I live, we have three communities in Beirut. Uh, I live in the community with the scholastics. So these are the guys who are, uh, they finished their novitiate, their first two years of training, and now they're studying philosophy. Uh, and so they're at University of San Joseph, the Jesuit University in Beirut. They are doing uh, a master's degree in Arabic, uh, in uh, Western and Arabic uh, philosophy. And these are Jesuits who are from Egypt, Lebanon, or Syria. So their first language is Arabic. Uh, they're, um, with a few exceptions, most of them are not Roman Catholic. They're Eastern Catholics. They're Eastern Christians. Um, and so they, but they've, they are Jesuits. Uh, and so they're doing this master's degree program. Uh, and so it's been fascinating hearing them uh, because you've got the Lebanese, uh, scholastics who are coming in with a great enthusiasm of that. And then you have the Syrian and the Egyptian scholastics who, uh, you know, in 2011, with the, what we have started referring to, we used to refer to as the Arab Spring, uh, they had their own sort of initial peaceful protests. Uh, and, and they've had to live through the ups and downs of the, of the ramifications of that for the last seven or eight years. Uh, and so there's a sense of there's a sense of history there that's, in one level, some of them are seen repeated, um, 
but hoping for a, maybe a, a better outcome here. Uh, but so there's that uh, sort of those fascinating dinner conversations uh, in my community. Um, so that's that's one thing. So we have Jesuits who are students. Um, in one of the other communities, we have Jesuits who are professors uh, or administrators at the university. Uh, so much like at Georgetown or Fordham or BC, you, know, you have the, the major Jesuit community and, and it's just where the Jesuits uh, live and work. Um, and so they um, tend to be older. Uh, the language in that house uh, is French mostly. Uh, and then Arabic is sort of the second language. Uh, the university language is French. It's a Francophone university. Uh, it's a 10,000 student university founded in 1875. Um, and so that's their major work, uh, really, for, for Lebanon. But then in addition, they have several high schools. Uh, and, uh, and so those are the traditional works of the society, just like they would be in, uh, you know, in California or New York or wherever, uh, high schools and a, and a big university. Um, since 2000, uh, well, actually, since 2008, we had JRS, the Jesuit Refugee Services here, at the, at the beginning, they were working with Iraqi refugees after the U.S. invasion, um, and uh, Iraqis left Iraq and went into mostly Jordan. So we had a small JRS operation there. And then after 2012, 2011, 2012, with the Syrian civil war, uh, the JRS operation in the Middle East exploded. Uh, and so we have an enormous operation going on uh, that has been going on since the beginning of the war in, in Aleppo, uh, Homs, and Damascus. And we have uh, several operations in, in northern Iraq, uh, which, we, which we operate. Um, we have three major cities in Lebanon where we have operations uh, in multiple schools in each of those places. And then in Jordan, uh, based in Amman, we have several operations as well. Uh, so the JRS has become a, a, an enormous part of our, our work, certainly in Lebanon, uh, and then also in, in the other countries, and really in Syria, it, it's 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 probably the largest single work. We have a lot of uh, parishes and uh, community centers and things that we run separate from JRS. Uh, but JRS is the single largest uh, ministry that the Jesuits have in Syria right now. I'm fascinated by uh, this, this the chance to kind of get to know some of these these Jesuits from. Uh, really, kind of volatile region uh, in the world, and to to learn about them and from them. What has surprised you talking with them, uh, getting to know that community in, in your your first weeks there? Uh, what are some things maybe that are similar to other you know Jesuit concerns that you've had uh, in your your own formation, your own community life in the United States? And then, what are some things maybe that are just like we would never even think about uh, as as issues that we would have to face? Uh, maybe here uh, in the States as, you know, connected with the Jesuits. Sure. I, yeah. I uh, I knew a good number of these guys coming back. So it was uh, coming back to good friends. Uh, the, and in, in that way, it's, it's the, one of the beautiful things that I love about being a Jesuit. I, yes, I can show up to different places and name the cultural and linguistic and historical differences. Um, but I show up as a Jesuit and we have a lot in common, uh, we pray, uh, how we think through issues of the integration of spirituality and, and social justice. Uh, there's a deep, uh, a deep connection. So I found a deep resonance there as I had found before. Uh, I find very, very similar here. Uh, you would find, you know, much the same, the, 
there's on one level, you could say there's the discussion of the external politics in the same way as you would have in any Jesuit community. You know, they would be talking about, you know, whatever's going on with the latest stuff about the you know, impeachment or about whatever else is going on in U.S. politics, uh, you know, whether it's at Fordham or Santa Clara, that would be a, a dinner conversation. But then there's also just the talk about university politics and what's going on with, uh, you know, with this uh, department or what's going on with that school or uh, whatever. And so we have exactly the same thing. So it is not as though we are always talking about Middle Eastern history and politics. Um, sometimes we're, we're just talking about class, how class went for some of the guys on a particular day. Other times we're, we're laughing about nonsense, you know, whatever, uh, you know, who knows what's going on, but uh, just normal uh, human interactions. Uh, so those are the things that would be very similar. Um, some of the things that would be different, they uh, certainly in terms of um, as you get into the future of uh, of Lebanon with the sectarian sort of structure, um, they have a, a much longer and uh, uh, much more profound, much more uh, nuanced uh, relationship with Islam uh, than I, I ever did. Um, and so on one level, there's a great deal of openness and, and great friendships that they can all draw on. Uh, there's also a caution around, around Christianity, Christians as a minority, certainly in Syria and in, and in Egypt, where it's a significant minority, uh, about how, how are minorities protected and how are they cared for and how, uh, what, it, what, what needs to be part of the conversation as we talk about the building of a civil society that really doesn't indeed allow for minorities' rights. Um, and so that's a, a, a very different flavor of a question, uh, just in terms of Islam. Uh, generally have a much deeper understanding of Islam than what I would see among Jesuits uh, in the U.S., a, a much more a nuanced understanding of it. Uh, they, and then also just in terms of, of being, they are, they are, again, they're not, most of them are not Roman Catholic. So what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to have a particular history? Um, so a very different understanding of liturgy, a very different understanding of Christian history, which isn't based in Rome. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's based in Jesus. So there's some, some really beautiful stuff there. So what is your, your day-to-day work life like? What is a typical day uh, working with, with JRS there? Sure. I, you know, uh, at the moment, my work is very administrative. Uh, when I was here before, I was the program director for Beirut, and so I was right in the middle of things, which was great. And I, truth be told, I prefer that. Uh, we were doing a lot of community organizing, and um, in a particular neighborhood that had a lot of Syrian refugees that had just arrived, and we were doing a lot of uh, sort of uh, food distribution and uh, and then the community organizing to determine what were the needs of the that particular community. Um, the work that I'm doing now, uh, so I'm I'm the minister in the community where I am in the morning. So basically, my job in the morning is to make sure that the house is up and moving and working, and that the plumbing's okay and the electricity's okay, and we've got water and we've got food and the basics, which most of the time is fine. When we had the the two week strike, uh, we had some issues with water and things, so those became a little bit more complicated there. Uh, but then I, I go to the office, the, the JRS office, which is right next door uh, 
to the building where I live. Uh, and I'm responsible for communications. And so um, any of the material that we send out, uh, recently it's been a lot of updates uh, as the situation in Northeast Syria has deteriorated with the U.S. withdrawing, Turkey invading, Russia doing whatever Russia is doing. Um, you know, we had about 200,000 Syrians who were displaced. About 100,000 of those have gone back, but 100,000 of them are have been you know, displaced into places where there were already a lot of displaced people. Uh, and so trying to get a, a sense of that and communicate that to our the JRS friends and donors and um, as we're ramping up possibilities of additional uh, displaced people coming into some of the JRS programs in Syria and then also in Iraq because about 13,000 Syrians have now entered Iraq um, as a result of the uh, conflict or the change of situation in Northeast Syria. So communicating that, trying to get it, the information from the field and then sharing it with our donors and our friends. Uh, but then also just doing the general, you know, monthly reports, the, the administrative stuff about communicating the, the work uh, of JRS. Uh, and then also I work with Mission and Identity, so trying to get a sense uh, of our work with the Jesuit University here about how we as Jesuit works um, are, are doing our task in a, in a particular way, grounded in an Ignatian spirituality, a faith that does justice, uh, in a sense of the magis, in a sense of uh, um, in a sense of that that inspiration, the ad maiorum, the glorium, that that we're we're working here somehow or another uh, in very real, tangible, messy situations uh, for the greater glory of God, and not for the greater glory of us or JRS or the university, uh, but for something bigger than that. So that's the the day to day work uh, is really that administrative stuff, um, yeah, and then usually about six o'clock. Uh, come back here, um, check in with the guys. Uh, most of the nights, the last couple of weeks, someone, some group or another has gone down. Uh, we're very close to the middle of town, and so we'd go down to the protests for a while and just sort of check out what's going on. Be part of it. Most of the time, it's kind of like a dance party. Uh, so listen to the speeches, dance a little bit, uh, and then come back here. I've heard a saying in Jesuit circles, uh, if you've met one Jesuit, you've met one Jesuit. There's a <laughs> wide range of uh, of ministries and uh, calls within the, the vocation to the, the society. I'm curious about you know, your own story. How does uh, a New Yorker uh, wind up uh, in in Lebanon? What is your own uh, story of uh, both your own big V vocation then also within the society, the, this call to serve in this part of the world? Sure. Uh, I... Um... Yeah, so I entered, uh, I entered the Jesuits at 34. Uh, I went to Le Moyne College, and there I always say that there were three things that I saw. I, I, I entered college, you know, 18 years old, understanding all wisdom and all knowledge, of course, and wanted nothing to do with organized religion. Uh, it was all you know, stuff from grandmothers and useless and um, just, you know, pointless piety kind of thing. Uh, but what I saw among the Jesuits and the people involved in, in the Ignatian world uh, at Le Moyne um, were three things. One was a deep commitment to the life of the mind, uh, care for the intellectual life, uh, care for the intellectual apostolate, not just in the humanities, but in, in all fields. Uh, and so a deep commitment to the life of the mind. Uh, that, that 
depth was uh, required a deep commitment to social justice, uh, that, that it could not remain just in the ivory tower uh, up at the university. It could not just remain uh, there in the in the classroom. It had to somehow or another get at the question of not just how do we serve the poor, but how do we accompany, how do we remain in solidarity? How do we ask why are the poor poor? Uh, how is that we're using the knowledge of the university uh, for a deep commitment to social justice? And that both of those areas of depth were grounded in a, in a deep spirituality that somehow or another, this deep commitment to the life of the mind and this deep commitment to social justice were, were, were grounded in a deep spirituality, a deep sense that we were indeed held together as one uh, in this thing called God. And uh, and so that that sort of was the revolution kind of thing that went on in my little uh, you know adolescent mind at that point and heart at that point. Um, and then as a result, went to the JVC and I was out in Micronesia for a couple of years, uh, came back and did the grad school thing. Um, I refer to it as a quarter life crisis after grad school I, at 25 or so. I, uh, I had a little quarter life crisis and decided to work at Fidelity Investments. Um, I got a job there randomly. Uh, so I had a couple of years, three years in finance or whatever, uh, but then really sort of came back to the faith that does justice Jesuit world. Uh, first uh, with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps office at Georgetown University at that point, uh, and then later at Holy Cross um, in campus ministry, and really was doing service of faith, promotion of justice, kinds of work in both of those places. Um, and it was there that the idea of a Jesuit vocation, actually becoming a Jesuit, uh, kept coming up. Uh, I, I opposed it for, sort of avoided it for a while, not wanting to be part of the the what we can name as the real uh, evil elements of the, the 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 worst parts of the structural uh, you know institutional church, uh, and I I didn't want to be part of that. Um, but what I came to was a deep prayerful understanding that I was still being called into this life, still being called into this vocation, uh, and that that the, the the evil of some of the structures of uh, the institutional church. Um, were not the, that wasn't what was calling me, that there was something deeper there, that it was indeed Jesus who was calling me into this uh, in, in spite of the, 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 the struggles with the institutional church. Um, and so, yeah, entered the novitiate, uh, had two years there, three year, two years in London uh, for philosophy. And then the vocation within the vocation uh, mentioned it to the provincial that I wanted to be outside of an English speaking environment to do my regency. So in between our, in our training, we do three years of, um, of work, usually you know, at a Jesuit university or Jesuit high school. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to be in a place where English wasn't spoken and sort of expecting it to be a Spanish language uh, ministry of some kind. Um, and at that point, it just happened that the provincial had been talking about the American presence in the Middle East, the, the old New England province based in Boston, used to have a high school and a university in Baghdad that was closed in 1968. Uh, and then they had a small presence in Jordan uh, for several years. And there were some questions about the future of that. Um, and so it just sort of happened that they could send me to the Middle East um, to maintain some sort of connection, to be in the middle of that somehow. Uh, and so I was originally, um, in December of 2010, I was 
missioned to go to Damascus because Syria was the most stable of all the countries in the Middle East. And I was going to go to Damascus. I was going to study Arabic and I was going to work with Iraqi refugees. Uh, and within six weeks of that letter being written, everything fell apart in the Middle East. We had the Arab Spring, Tunisia, Libya, um, uh, Egypt, uh, and eventually Syria um, with these major revolutions. Um, and by the time I was actually looking to get a visa, the Jesuits in the Middle East said, wait six weeks, uh, the war in Syria will blow over, you can go then, but don't go now. Um, and, you know, it, it was, uh, so they, I, I came to Beirut because that was the closest I could get to Damascus. Uh, I studied Arabic here, the three years that I was here, uh, I could not get into Syria. Uh, and um, so I just stayed here. And then as the refugees left Syria and came into Lebanon, just started working with what would become Jesuit Refugee Services in Lebanon. Uh, so we we were operating with something different at the beginning, just sort of, you know, uh, you know, picking, you know, uh, just random, uh, half-assing it basically, just sort of throwing things together uh, that eventually became this sort of stru structured, uh, systematic work of, of what is now JRS. So as we wrap up here, I'm curious, like for, for folks maybe who, again, haven't had much experience or haven't traveled to the region or haven't been to Lebanon, what, what are some things, ways you would describe it or people back home uh, ask you about kind of what it's like there? Um, some things that might be you know unexpected uh, or reasons why we should uh, put it on our, our bucket list to visit. Well, first, it's beautiful, it's absolutely beautiful place uh, where I mean, we're right on the Mediterranean, um, the the building I'm in, we look out and we can uh, we see both the square where everyone is protesting, but we can also look out and see the Mediterranean. Uh, we can also look out the other side of the building and see the, the mountains. Um, so it just aesthetically, it's a beautiful place. Uh, there are, um, down in the south in particular, uh, in terms of sort of as Christian history, we have the, the towns of Tyre and Sidon uh, that, that so figure so clearly in the life of Jesus as the the place where he goes out of his really comfort zone, out of his, you know, the place where it, it, this is no longer a, a Jewish or Israelite uh, uh, territory. He's gone into something different. Uh, and so the idea of going there and being in these places, um, Tyre in particular has these beautiful old Roman ruins, uh, just a spectacular uh, old town, a beautiful little fishing uh, port. Um, to be in a place like that and to have that sense of, okay, on one level this is other, but it's exactly where Jesus invites us to be in the in the other. So there's some uh, beautiful things there in terms of getting a sense of a diverse Christianity. Uh, I mean, like in terms of the Christian population here, this is not this is not the uh, you know what what I as a little you know child of Irish you know an ancestors um, you know, sort of the Irish uh, immigrant experience Roman Catholicism in the United States. This is a very different a Christian world than that um, and has a much deeper, much longer uh, history. Uh, so that's a fascinating thing. The, the intersection of Christianity and Islam, both Sunni and Shiite, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, we're in a place where that has worked uh, well most of the time um, for, for centuries uh, with, with blips, admittedly, uh, significant blips, including major civil wars. Um, but there is a, a, a deep sense of, of people you know, today being able to live with one another 
uh, within differences. Uh, and it's a, a really extraordinary thing to, to see that lived out well. There's a great art community here, music and poetry and, and uh, uh, painting and, uh, and things. So it's a, a really vibrant uh, place for that. Uh, so I, yeah, I would recommend it to anyone. Come and, and visit, come to anywhere in the Middle East here, you're in a great spot. Well, Father Dan, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show and uh, know of our prayers for you and your ministry and thank you for your ministry. And uh, I'll be uh, looking forward to, to hearing uh, more updates uh, as we as we go forward and continue on in your service there. Very good. Well, thank you so much for this, Mike, and know of our prayers for all of you back there. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Doris Sump, Megan Leipsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Mike Jordan-Lasky. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. Thank you.